You're listening to Don't Mind the Gap, the future of real estate investing. My name is Emra Al-Kirwi and I will be your host in this podcast series where we will meet world-class real estate professionals and get insights into the tech side of real estate. We will learn how to combine traditional knowledge with new ways to develop real estate and invest in it. In this episode, I'm meeting Anish Riskandaraja. He's the managing director of Roundhill Ventures and has appeared on top lists such as Forbes 30 Under 30 and 100 Most Influential People in Tech. Roundhill Ventures is a part of Roundhill Capital, a global real estate firm with 15 offices around the world and 7 billion British pounds in asset value. They invest in and manage residential and commercial real estate, student housing and senior living. In this episode, we're focusing on the ventures part, where they invest in prop tech startups. We will discuss what they as investors are looking for in terms of business ideas and personal traits, what the real estate industry can learn from tech, and some advice for entrepreneurs seeking funding. Also, where the industry will be in five years and some advice for traditional real estate professionals. Enjoy. Arnie, welcome to the show. Can you please tell us about yourself and Roundhill Ventures? Sure. A few seconds on myself. I've got a mixture of venture building and venture investing experience. I've been part of three companies, the first being HelloFresh, where I led the operations side of the business here in the UK. I then moved to a company called The Collective, which focuses on co-living. I was their chief strategy officer. And then very recently, I was the COO of Bloomberg AI, which recently also sold to Facebook. And subsequent to that, I've been in the investment world, co-founded a small seed fund, which looked at consumer-facing millennial businesses, and then joined Capital & Counties, a listed entity here in the UK, to set up their corporate venture fund. And then most recently, which is what we're here to talk about it, I've joined Roundhill Capital to set up their VC business. Can you tell us about Roundhill Capital and uh, Roundhill Ventures? How we describe Roundhill Capital is an accommodation-focused investment firm. We focus very much on student, PRS, social housing. More recently started looking at senior living. We have assets of around 7 billion across Europe. We have 15 local offices. We take an approach uh, called fully integrated. So we do the private equity piece. We asset manage, property manage, and physically manage all the way through. So we actually understand what the tenants want. And more recently, the businesses started looking at alternative accommodation, so likes of co-living, co-working, modular. But more interesting for us here today is we've also started looking at technology and how technology impacts real estate and the real estate value chain going forward. And through that exploration is where Roundhill Ventures started from. And what we've done over the last two and a half years, we use balance sheet capital to understand how the investment process works in the venture capital world, but more importantly, how these tech companies are disrupting us at the very early stage. Yeah. You invest in innovative and disruptive businesses in the real estate sector. Where do you see most of the innovation today? If we look back at the last few years, I think the focus has very much been on the residential side of all the various pieces of the prop tech spectrum. I think that's predominantly driven by the fact it's felt like the lowest hanging fruit because a lot of entrepreneurs see the problem, feel the problem themselves, and then go after solving it then has been doubled down by a lot more capital being available for people in that space. And I still think it's a big focus. A lot of companies we look at today are trying to improve the tenancy piece. How do we improve the tenant's journey from finding a location to live, how they live there, how to improve the experience of that, but also to support landlords and building owners to make better spaces for their tenants, but most importantly, to have better returns profiles for them in this changing landscape. The other piece I think that's been changing maybe over the last two years or so 
is the fundamental shift in mentality with entrepreneurs who see the real estate space, understand the information and the data that they've collected thus far has been in silos. And they're now attacking that to create a bit more transparency, which then drives interesting insights for us from an investor perspective on the real estate side, as well as on the tech side. So on the real estate side, we now get better access to information so we can make better investment decisions. But as a tech investor, we're seeing kind of stage two of a five-step process in which data becomes much more open, much more flat, and therefore we see many more opportunities for companies to be built. Yep. How did you become interested in real estate innovations and investments? My move into the prop tech or the built world environment was rather fortuitous rather than a planned move. I spent the first part of my career looking at consumer-focused businesses, especially company models that were successful in the US and then coming into, into Europe. I think where it really kind of shifted is when I started working with the collective and started understanding there's this new mentality that's coming into real estate. And I was fortunate to be part of the company that was on the forefront of changing the way real estate was being looked at, how you would carve up a new space within a very traditional and, uh, well, historically speaking, a very kind of starchy environment. And so that was my first kind of taste. And once you understand the opportunity set in real estate, the fact that it's the biggest asset class in the world, it's in from a consumer perspective, probably the biggest expense that you have individually, you then start understanding the sheer size and opportunity there. And then you look at the technology that people are using and the way people are actually working day to day and compare it to the other industries. For me, coming from e-commerce or retail side, there was a huge chasm in terms of the way that these two entities were working. So that's when I saw the opportunity and have thus far stuck with it over the last kind of three or four years. Yeah. You're often on top lists such as Forbes 30 under 30, um, 100 most influential people in tech. What do you bring with you into the real estate industry? I think it echoes one of our previous questions around the change in real estate or looking at another industry and then coming to look at real estate and you see the fundamental differences. You see the similarities as well, of course, but I think coming from a sector which has changed quite a lot, then you're bringing in a completely different, fresh set of eyes looking at the same problem, both through a new angle. And it's both an opportunity from an outsider's perspective, but also one of the biggest challenges coming into the space. Real estate has, for good reason, have this particular structure of working, a particular way of building buildings and looking after them. But at the same time, when you're an outsider or someone is seen in a disruption in another industry and coming in, bringing that disruptive kind of view, you've got to be also being able to challenge that norm and to really understand why certain things are done in a certain way. Yeah. And I think having some of this kind of marketing terminology around my personal brand allows me to have a little bit more say at the table at, I would say, in a time and when a number of folks are still trying to figure out how real estate is going to be in the next two to three years, having a bit of that marketing spiel, also understanding different industries and how they've shifted gives us a bit more sway and also gives us a little more uh, covenants when we're trying to push real estate to move in a certain direction. Mm. What are the latest uh, real estate innovations that you think will impact the industry? Maybe at this stage, it's worth picking out one or two of our own portfolio companies. So one of the companies we're really excited by is Bricklay. It's a very simple proposition there. They're trying to democratize ownership of residential real estate. In the UK, we're traditionally extremely excited by owning our own real estate. It's what every parent tells their child. It's what my parent tells me on a regular basis. But we're in a situation now, we as a 
community or my generation at least, I find it very challenging to get onto the real estate kind of ladder. And what business like Brick Lane are allowing you to do is giving you the access to that real estate, even if you can't own it outright, you're getting a piece of it. And the most important thing is you're still enjoying the perception that you're owning it, but more importantly, you have access to that asset class, which you didn't have before. And so if we all hope in the long term, real estate continues to grow, then you're still having that uplift and you're no longer locked out of that. Mm. And of course, Bricklane are doing it in a very digital centric manner, opening up to new parts of society that haven't thought about owning real estate because they thought they were locked out. They're using every government enabled tax wrapper in order to help these individuals who didn't have access before. So democratizing ownership of real estate, is a big piece. And I think Brick Lane is an example of that. Another business of ours that we've invested in, which is completely different in terms of technology is Airlight which is a clean tech business, which absorbs 98% of polluting gases, specifically NOx gases. And that's another piece I think that's kind of really exciting for us going forward is smart materials and products that actually improve the environment we're in. There is no stopping us as cities becoming even more populated and all our resources being overexploited. That's inevitable. So companies like Airlights and smart material businesses are coming in and actually making our environment much more livable, cleaner and better. I think it's a fundamental shift and we're going to continue to invest in that. And another piece that we're looking at at the moment, we're yet to make an investment, we're actively looking, if anyone's listening, is the IoT space and a truly understanding how do you take IoT from this this wonderland that everyone thinks of it as, but how do we make it reality? How do we bring that, how do we put these devices in our spaces, both in terms of your homes, in terms of your workplace, in terms of your local cities, and actually derive information from that that is very useful for us as developers, in your case, city builders, city planners. How do we connect those dots up in a manner that's actually useful so we can step away from this wonderland that we have over here to reality. And so we, we're actually looking at that as well. So I think broadly speaking, those three areas give you the kind of future looking way of how we look at prop tech or built environment technology. Mm, interesting. I think you answered the next question as well. What parts of the industry you believe need to be disrupted? So, so you, that, yeah, those three were very much interesting. I think an area that we spend more and more time on as a team in the ventures office is construction. We as individuals don't have too much construction experience. Luckily, the firm has a development arm and we interact with them on a the regular basis. We feel there is so much opportunity in that industry. And where does that come from? It comes from a mixture of understanding it's the way the industry is stitched together. It's extremely fragmented, multiple layers of different entities feeding into each other, which often reduces your chance of adopting anything innovative because you're kind of all trying to stay alive, keep your head above water. So there's a huge amount of repetition, a huge amount of paperwork that's kind of still paper-based. And of course, risk management becomes a big challenge. Then, you know, also understanding timings in terms of when do buildings go up? How does refurbs work? But more importantly, how does zoning then work? Because there's a huge information lag. So we think construction and the way buildings are put up and looked after, there's a huge amount of interesting things happening. And that kind of drives back to our first point. If we have more information, which is much more transparent, digitally held. And a lot of these things we can start eating into, but there has to be, a sh first of all, entrepreneurs coming in who understand that industry, understand how challenging it is, understand who the kind of key nodes are within that space so they can actually go and approach them and convince them, you know, there's 3000 problems that you're facing. These two are really painful and these are painful for you and we can solve that today. 
and slowly start stacking that up. Mm-hmm. So construction, broadly big. Uh, we're, once again, really excited about the opportunity set there. You know, we will always need places to live, cities to live in. Mm-hmm. And so anyone who's looking to improve that process through data, through better processes, or going left of field, changing the way we even put buildings up through modular, all of these are extremely exciting. And I think that's going to be an easy place to start finding unicorns if unicorn hunting is what you're interested in. You're listening to Don't Mind the Gap, the future of real estate investing. If you have any tips on interesting guests or other inquiries, please send me an email to emro at don'tmindthegap.com or message me on LinkedIn. Thank you. How active are you as investors? What type of ventures would benefit from having you on board? It's a very good question. So one of the biggest questions the team and I get on a regular basis is, are you guys a corporate venture capital arm? Are you like a VC? What is it? So we'd like to think of ourselves as a positive combination of both. We have LPs that are like Roundhill Capital and other very large institutions which have significant AUM that's dedicated to real estate. So they all understand real estate. They all want to understand how their assets are going to change over time. And most importantly, they will incentivize to support us by giving us access to all of those assets and the people on the ground. So we have all of that kind of value that we can bring to these companies. The other piece is every single member of the team have actually either been a C-level individual in a startup or try to build their own company. So I think a combination of like, we've kind of been there, built that and been through that growth phase. So we can support on fundraising, we can support on how to build to people management in, how do we look at sales channels, how do we look at your performance marketing, all of that kind of nitty gritty VC style support we can provide. But one piece that we can provide that pretty much no one else in the market can is the fact that our LPs and us as Randall Capital Group are giving you access to assets and people who really understand the industry. And in that sense, we have it all there and we are incentivizing both the company and the our investors to support one another. I won't say exactly how, um, <laughs> but they're both incentivized. So we will always support our companies on the VC type of support and we're relatively active. Then we encourage our companies to come in and find these opportunities. We leave it in there, the ball in their court, but fundamentally if they can activate these LPs that we have and our, our strategic partners, it's hugely beneficial for most of the companies that we invest into. Mm. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs? I think the, the biggest hurdle is to truly understand the journey they're about to begin. I think the idea of setting up a business for the sake of setting up business or just because I want to be my own boss is probably not the best way to look at it. I think that's like a secondary answer. I think the primary question you've got to ask is the problem you're trying to solve for, is it really a problem? How do you know that's a problem? Do you have direct access to that pain or do you have secondary touch points you know, whether it's an analogous industry or you've seen it because you've actually just gone through a consumer journey that's a true pay point and you can definitely go out and validate it. And I think, first of all, find there's a problem, then fundamentally see what the solutions are. And if you genuinely think you've got the ideas or you can put a team together that can then solve that, then you kind of step one tick. Then you take the second and third kind of steps of going, okay, should I be looking at it because I should be an entrepreneur, because you know what, I'm fed up with working for somebody else. That's like what, a secondary question. Do you have the risk appetite which kind of feeds from that? Are you in a position in life where you can do it? What do you have to, to change within your day-to-day life in order to be able to go and build your company? I'm not saying and no one can do it. Anyone can become an entrepreneur, but you've got to take internal analysis and figure out, do you have 
the appetite? Are you willing to sacrifice certain things in order to go out and build this company? And the third piece is, can you actually go out and find individuals who are going to support you in building this, right? Because if you flip the question and go, what do we look for in terms of companies that we want to back, mm. especially at the earlier stage, so when we're doing late C type investment is, we fundamentally look at the founder, we go and understand how he's come up with that solution, why did he come up with that? So what, what was your problem? So kind of back solving for what we've discussed earlier, and has he been able to pull a team to, in together that can fill his gaps in knowledge, yeah. but they can work well together to solve this problem? Because by late seed, I mean, we wish they had a perfect solution. That's historically not been the case. Yeah. So they, we need a team that kind of have the right skill set, have the right belief, and are incentivized to go and focus on this problem. And of course, we'll validate the problem. We'll do what all VCs do, do kind of macroeconomic checks and microeconomic kind of numbers as well to make sure there's a market for it. Yeah. That's what we're really looking at at kind of the late seed Series A. As we shift into more Series B, Series C investments, which is less important to the entrepreneurs today, then we start looking at your sales channels. We're looking at your distribution. We're looking at the market itself and how that's adapted over the next over the two years that you've been in operation and where we see that market going. Mm. But absolutely, if I was an entrepreneur, really understand the problem and truly believe that you want to solve that problem before you start the journey. Mm. Apart from uh, problem solving uh, traits, what traits are you looking for? So uh, I think beyond by only having the passion for whatever you're trying to build, I think it's being able to double down on that with the grit of being able to stick around for two, three, four, five years because it might take that long before you're actually successful in even getting the first round of external funding, let alone you know having a successful business. So it's passion, grit, and the third piece is your ability to actually build a team. Because after you've done the first two pieces and you've kind of raised a bit of money, you need to go out and actually double down on your team and focus on that. So I think those are the three core bits. Would I sit here and say you need to be a fantastic tech wizard or you could be a fantastic salesman, or you need a combination of both. It's not necessarily all of those things. It's very much having the passion. And you can go and bring a co-founder as a CTO and a co-founder who's incredibly good at selling. But when we as investors come to see you as a business, you as a founder, we're buying into you, and through you, we're buying into your team. Mm. And so to having the passion and the grit is the most important. And of course, as investors, also people will follow through. But I think people follow through if they have option, if they have part A and part B. Yeah. All right. What are your initial demands and um, what's your exit strategy when you go into companies? I guess it's a challenging question when you're asking a VC who invests across late seed, series A, series B, and opportunistically uh, further down the line. Very simply, we're always looking for companies that can kind of grow their top line revenue very quickly. If it's a seed to series A investment, that magnitude is much larger than maybe a series B or series C type investment. We're also looking at your ability to open up a new market, kind of feeds into option A. And so that's kind of what we look at from a growth perspective. In terms of exit scenarios, I think it's, it's a bit more challenging. Europe is famously a trade sale type market. So we were always conscious of that in the back of our minds. If we're going after extremely mature companies, then we've got to be very comfortable that they're going to be the exception to the rule and not fall into the averages. So that's an ongoing internal debate within the team from an exit perspective. If we're going much earlier, then we try to understand roughly which area they're disrupting, who the players in that space are, who are either looking for acquire businesses for digital transformation, or there's some potential collaboration with another fast growth business who may need this as a further set of products within their, within their suite. 
We do, in our dreams, like to look at, think of IPOs and exits through a public listing. Some of our companies, we do generally consider that as an opportunity, but we try not to put that into our kind of underwriting as, as part of our thinking. But it's, of course, something that uh, anyone in the team here would love to have within our portfolio. Mm. Where will you and the industry be in five years? So if by industry you mean prop tech and the venture space, I think Randall by then, I hope. What we're trying to build here is we're trying to make sure we are the go-to brand in Europe for prop tech or built environment technology investing. So we'll have another fund up so we can be investing all the way from kind of early to mid to late stage to kind of series D and proving out that out. We're already interested in certain other parts of the world where we think prop tech is really starting to kick off and having exciting entrepreneurs and exciting opportunities. So, you know, possibly another part of the world. So I think that's where I see Randall Ventures over the next five years in terms of growth, in terms of how the technology piece is going to be affecting our kind of day-to-day built world environment. I think now I'm suddenly going into my crystal ball a little bit here, but I would say certainly from a real estate investment firm perspective, I think the type of individuals you have coming in through the doors it's going to change quite a lot over the next five years. I think you're still going to have very analytical individuals. I just, in, in terms of their skill sets, it's going to be far fewer of them coming in and more of them being educated in the arts, shall we say, of data science and machine learning. So the analysts will be much more skilled from a technical perspective and far fewer in number. So that I think that's going to be one piece. I think the second piece is the, the way in which we plan for and execute building delivery it's going to be also take that kind of reflective mood. So we're going to be far more kind of data-driven and the processes are very much more plug and play and we can account for the variables that we struggle with at the moment. So I think that piece will change quite a bit and we'll have a lot more, we as a firm strongly believe there'll be a lot more kind of modular type solutions to it, whether that's happening on-site or near-site or extremely off-site, we don't know yet. We still got to work out what the economics of moving parts of buildings around. So I think those kind of things will start happening from your home and your like a local vicinity. I don't want to comment too much on mobility. I'll leave it that to the mobility investors. But I think the uh, reliance on transport will increase, third-party transport rather than your own personal transport. And also the kind of safety and the quality of that should go up over time just because we have more information and it's, once again, a data-driven part of our world. So I'll just leave you with those two. I think, mm. I think we can go on if I start <laughs> cutting up the life cycle too much. Mm. What's the next big thing in PropTech? Depending on where you're sitting in the environment, I think if you're a real estate investment firm, so let's just double down on that because we're sat in one, I think AVMs will be a real thing if they're already happening around us. But can you next, please explain what that is? Valuation models. So yeah. data automated valuation models or average valuation models. They're already being sketched out in various markets. We know for a fact through some investments that some of them are very progressed and already simulating similar sort of numbers to our existing processes. So if you believe in that evolving in the right way with the next six to nine months, there'll be some that are much better than what we have at present. Mm. And so there'll be a shift in terms of how we do investing from an investment perspective. I think the other piece, which is going to be completely transformational and it's something that we're getting our heads around is how individuals or consumers are actually, we say, consume real estate. What we mean by that is how they find their places to live, how they get their services coming into them 
and how that kind of then connects back in their own finances and connects into their kind of next home, their third home, their fourth home, etc. That's no longer a discrete activity. It's all part of the greater maze that the data stack has created. So we're very comfortable that your banking app will also trigger that the fact that you're having certain amount of rent going out and therefore, you know, you should have these type of products or linking back to a environment in which it tells you which, which is the right home for you based on your own spend needs, etc. All of this information is in one place. So you start seeing the dots being connected. So as a consumer, you could argue you're going to have a much better experience as long as you're taking part in this environment. What skills do you think will be indispensable to be a great real estate investor or professional in the near future? So I think historically and going forward, the ability to see above the clouds is always going to be the biggest skill set that any investor has, irrespective of being real estate or venture or any other asset class, is to see above the noise. Our ability to see more data and see more information, see flow, only improves the quality of what's in what I say, the known world or, you know, things we can measure for. And what do you do to stay at that level or to get new inspiration? I think I always strive to be at the level. Perhaps I'm not there yet. Uh, maybe that's that's a lifelong journey to strive to be at that level. Come on, you've been on these top lists. So yeah, sure. So don't be too I, humble. I think it's a mixture of the way we do it in all of these industries is course, keeping on top of the information flows. So you have a good base understanding of what's happening across sectors, across various asset classes, across kind of macro trends, etc. And you can compute for that a certain extent. But a piece that you can't always compute for is the creativeness that you need to have in order to kind of see above the parapet or above the clouds, as I used that phrase earlier. And I think that having that creative edge to take what is easily available, and it'll get easier and easier to have this information at your fingertips and making that kind of leap. So being able to make that leap, I think that's the creativeness that you need to have. And I think the human mind is best suited for it rather than an artificial intelligence type situation. So I think whoever has the greatest ability in making those leaps and understanding it above what's already in the known space, are the ones that are gonna be in high demand or going to be kind of naturally kind of coming to the top. Mm. What final words would you like our listeners to remember from this talk? If you are going to build a company, find a problem that you're truly passionate about and think twice before you build that company. Think about if you've got the grit and the long-term determination to kind of follow through. And then if you are going to do all of those things, if you are going to build a company within the prop tech space or the built environment space, at some point you'll come across Roundtable or Roundtable Ventures and we'll always be here to work with you to drive as much value into your business because fundamentally that's how we're built to succeed. Thank you very much, Arnie. Thank you.